This is exactly right. I'm Kate Winkler Dawson, a journalist, author, and podcast host. And I'm Paul Holes, a retired investigator with experience solving some of America's most notorious cold cases. Together, we host Buried Bones, a historical true crime podcast on the Exactly Right Network. Each week, we examine a different case from history and use our years of experience and 21st century forensics to bring new insights into these very old tragedies. Like the time the Sausage King of Chicago's wife went missing in 1897. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Follow Buried Bones wherever you get your podcasts. This story contains adult content and language. Listener discretion is advised. If a witcher said he was going to pay you money, you don't need a contract. But if he says he's going to shoot you, get out of town. Victoria Smith and James Clement had always been in an awful marriage that was poisoned by emotional abuse and accusations of infidelity. Neither parent wanted the other to raise their infant daughter, Lilia Maud. And when Victoria demanded a divorce from James, it initiated a custody battle that pitted two families against each other, two prominent families that were once close. Just when it seemed like the story couldn't get any worse, it did. Depositions were scheduled for September of 1859 in Sandy Level, Virginia, to hear stories from family members and witnesses. This meeting would be tainted by bitterness and malice. It was assumed that everyone would come brandishing weapons, some on their hips, others under their jackets. Who knows how many guns and knives were there? And Lilia Maud's great-granddaughter, Vicki Borden, says it seemed destined to end in misery for both families. So it was just a tragedy. It was terrible. And it was a horrible thing for that part of Virginia because they'd fought in the war and they, they owned all the property and people looked up to them. And then this horrible thing happened. That's it. We would never have found that. Wayne Witcher and I have traveled just a few miles from the Clement family home to the site of a local store that played a very big role in the feud. In 1859, the Witchers and the Clements were ordered to attend depositions in the divorce case of James Clement and Victoria Smith Clement. Both families and their witnesses were scheduled to appear on Tuesday, September 13th in Sandy Level, Virginia. The location where we are is called Washington Dickinson's Store, and it would become very important later on. How are you going to get in there to see it? We're just going to walk through it. Just got to jump the fence. Barbed wire? There's a, I think that's a gap. Y'all are so funny, but you can go over the barbed wire. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going through the barbed wire. Carol is adventurous. No, I'm not going through the barbed wire. Watch out. I think that's the that's hole. The There's a hole right there. Dickinson's store was destroyed years ago, but we found our way to the remnants of the building. There's just not much left. Okay. 
Yeah, there's snake skin. Oh, boy. Oh. What kind of snake do we think that is? I bet this is it. And there's a stone right there. See? Building oh. stone right there. Right here. Exactly. Yep. So right here, on this very site, that shooting took place. Huh? You're right, that's original stone. And this tree here is probably 120, 130 years old. But who knew this was here? And nobody would ever know that that's what this was. No, There's just a hole in the ground. On top of this, there was a store, and that's where the shooting took place. This store was a big deal for Wayne's family because people died there. Crazy. We're tempting Wayne with too much stuff. His head's going to explode. Yeah, I'm, I'm realist. I know I can't get it all. <laughs> but I am going to preserve this. I visited a lot of murder scenes for both my books and my podcasts. But this location feels a little different because I've never been able to stand on the precise spot of so much bloodshed. Finding the remnants of Dickinson's store is pretty exciting. But this location wouldn't enter the story just yet. If what happened at Dickinson's store was the climax of the drama between the Witchers and the Clements, then Sandy Level was the inciting incident. In September of 1859, the Witchers and the Clements prepared for a crucial court case. Victoria had temporary custody of Lelia Maud, who was now six months old, but the little girl's father wanted to change that. Victoria wanted permanent custody of their daughter, and she wanted to force her soon-to-be ex-husband to pay more monetary support. Victoria accused James of being a tyrant at home, a dangerous abuser who threatened her life and almost killed several enslaved people. Victoria was afraid that he would eventually kill her or their daughter. James accused Victoria of being a chronic cheater who regularly abused him and his family and then promptly abandoned their child. Sometime in the weeks before the depositions, Lilia Maud disappeared. Someone from James's family snuck into Victoria's mother's home and took the little girl. Victoria immediately contacted the sheriff to demand that Lilia Maud be returned. The sheriff agreed. He retrieved the little girl and returned her to her mother. James was threatened with a $10,000 penalty if he tried to take Lilia Maud again. Former law school professor Linda Frost says that during many custody hearings, the parents do prioritize their children over their own feelings. Most of them in their heart of hearts want what's best for their child because in the more acrimonious divorces where people are going out and hiring lawyers and fighting, particularly over custody, because fighting over money, the law's a little clearer and it's not quite as personal. But, you know, with a child, not everybody can win. You have to make some really hard decisions. But Frost says that those hard decisions can be troublesome for judges who have to play referee between two very angry parents and sometimes their families. And so those fights can get really, really acrimonious because it goes to the heart of who you love and care about, your child. Most people ultimately want what's best for their child, but they also believe that they know what's best for their child. They would be the better caretaker. They are getting divorced because there are things that they are not liking in their former partner. And that's how both the Clements and the Witchers felt about Lelia Maud. 
As the depositions and Sandy level approached, the former couple kept their distance from each other for now. There were law experts in both families, so the Witchers and the Clements each represented their own side. Ralph Clements was a practicing attorney in Franklin County, so he worked on James's case. Vincent Oliver Witcher, the prestigious lawmaker, represented his granddaughter. When Vicki Borden was younger, her father talked to her about the feud. The girl at the center of this fight, Lelia Maud, was his beloved grandmother. Vicki's father told her that before the depositions, there was increasing stress across the community over the event, not just between the Witchers and the Clements. When two powerful families quarrel, it can affect everyone around them. My father said that in his growing up, that they said it was building up the whole time they were in that county seat to have this thing come before the judge, that it was building up between these two families. It was so tense, and the people in the town always said that the tension was so thick, and they knew something terrible was going to happen. And it did. The night before the divorce depositions were taken on September 13, 1859, the Witchers and the Clements arrived at Sandy Level. They met in Sandy Level, Pennsylvania County, for the purpose of listening to each party bring their case forward. The family stayed away from each other, but when they entered the room the next morning, there were already signs of strain. The families eyed each other from across the room, and the two attorneys, Vincent Oliver Witcher and Ralph Clement, organized their papers as the proceedings began. There was a lot at stake during these depositions. In the legal documents submitted by Victoria and James, there were allegations of infidelity and abuse, and both of those claims were serious charges that were magnified by the fight over Lilia Maud. Victoria believed that James had an estate worth at least $16,000, worth more than half a million dollars today, though James had claimed that all of that money was his father's, not his. Victoria had written in her bill of complaint that she had heard that he would renew his abuse and his slanderous charges if she took him to court. She believed that if given the chance, James would take his money and their daughter and leave Virginia forever. Now, James had never denied that. In fact, he said that Lilia Maud would be better off without Victoria. This is the quote. The child has been raised thus far principally by hand and not from its mother's breast, and that she had been in the habit of frequently going from home and leaving it to be attended by others. James accused Victoria of abandoning their daughter so she could continue her trysts with Buck Gilbert. As dozens of people filed into the room that morning, Ralph Clement and Vincent Oliver Witcher looked over their lists of witnesses. One of the first was Sherwood Shelton, who worked for Johnston Clement and lived in his house. Sherwood told the attorneys that Victoria came to his house that night in August, fleeing from James. James came to retrieve her and then threatened Sherwood's life. The Sheltons were like family to the Clements, so this was really damaging evidence. George Berger was up next. James Clement believed that Victoria had been engaged to George's brother Samuel just a few weeks before James married her. 
George never fully answered the question during the depositions, so there was little context to those rumors. But if there were one star witness in the divorce of James Clement and Victoria Smith, it was Buck Gilbert, the man accused of sleeping with Victoria Clement and ruining their promising marriage. For his part, Buck denied any involvement with Victoria, only admitting that they were friends. Buck understood how important his testimony would be. And Bill Garant says that was bad news for his relative because James Clement was very focused on Buck Gilbert. He was a very jealous guy, and he continued to think that Victoria had a thing for Buck Gilbert. And I think that Victoria didn't mind letting him think that because she just didn't mind pushing his buttons. The Gilberts lived in Franklin County. The Witchers lived in Pennsylvania County, but they're right on the border. So Buck shows up for his deposition in uh, Sandy Level. James Clement glared at Buck as he approached the witness chair while a stenographer took notes. James had been humiliated both by the alleged affair and by being served with divorce papers. Bill Garant says that Buck was trapped in a courtroom with a man who hated him. And so he was just crazy jealous and angry. And the divorces were very scandalous in those days. Other witnesses had come before Buck, but because each seemed to be related to either the Witchers or the Clements, it was difficult to discern fact from fiction. The witnesses from the Witchers contended that Victoria had excellent character. She was a faithful wife. While friends of the Clements claimed they never witnessed any signs of James's controlling violent behavior. None of the witnesses seemed to offer much context for the allegations of abuse and infidelity. And everyone seemed so surprised that such a promising marriage would devolve into a wretched, regretful relationship. Now it was time for Buck Gilbert to answer some very invasive questions from both families and to share his side of the story. First, he answered each question from Victoria's representative, Vincent Oliver Witcher, her own grandfather, the military leader, not intimidating at all. Vincent Oliver's goal was to salvage his granddaughter's delicate reputation by proving that Buck and Victoria were absolutely not having an affair. Are you acquainted with Victoria C. Clement? Vincent Oliver asked Buck. I am, he replied. Vincent Oliver asked Buck about the evening he and two Witchermen spent the night with the couple, the night that resulted in James accusing him of seducing Victoria and leaving the door unlocked. Buck told the court, next morning, James R. Clement asked me if I had gone out of doors that night, and before or after he asked the question, he asked me if I heard any noise about the house that night. Buck denied to James that he had ever left. And then Buck said something interesting on the stand. He said that James had not accused him of sleeping with Victoria. He thought that Buck might have gone out drinking and made some noise on the way out. But Buck claimed that the two witchers were actually to blame for that noise. Buck testified, They said one of them had occasion to get up that night and made some blunders in the dark, which they said made a good deal of noise, and that seemed to relieve Clement's mind so far as the noise was concerned. So according to Buck, James seemed concerned about Buck sneaking out to drink alcohol, not sneaking out to fool around with Victoria. In fact, Buck said that James never directly accused him of sleeping with his wife. That's a very different story than Victoria told about what happened that night. 
She said that James had confronted both of them about an affair. So who was telling the truth? After a few more questions, Vincent Oliver Witcher concluded his queries and took a seat. Buck now seemed slightly more nervous because James's brother, Ralph Clement, had risen to his feet. His questions would certainly be much sharper. Ralph walked over to Buck Clement and glared at the witness before asking, were you not in the habit of visiting or did you not sometimes visit the said Victoria C. Clement and find her husband absent and spend some time with her alone? This inquiry surely made everyone in the courtroom uneasy. It was a very inflammatory accusation, particularly in the 19th century when a woman's virtue and honor were prized. Buck replied calmly that if he had ever visited with Victoria without her husband, that it wasn't for very long. He said, I am confident I was never there 15 minutes before he made an appearance. Ralph Clement's questions only became more aggressive. He asked Buck, were you not there one whole evening with Victoria C. Clement when James R. Clement and Bailey Julian were at Naaman Law's till near night? Naaman Law was a middle-aged married farmer in the same county as Victoria and James. Buck confirmed that he was at Victoria's house that evening when James was at Naaman's home, but Buck couldn't remember if they had actually ever been alone. Ralph Clement seemed to be growing frustrated. He asked Buck, state if you did not often or sometimes go near to the residence of James R. Clement, either alone or in company with another after dark. Buck thought for a moment and replied, upon one occasion, I was not very far from his house with another after dark. Buck said he was pursuing a runaway enslaved person, but Ralph Clement seemed incredulous. And with that, Buck Gilbert's deposition was complete for the day. The court adjourned for the night, and the families made sure to stay far away from each other. The countryside at night in the autumn can feel refreshing or inhospitable, depending on who or what might be lurking in the dark. At that time, there were, of course, no streetlights, just starlight. And both families knew that the other was out there somewhere. They wondered if tomorrow's depositions would end peacefully. The next morning's depositions were set to begin at 9, so as they had before, the witnesses all filed into the courthouse a little beforehand. Buck Gilbert was supposed to resume his testimony as soon as the proceedings began, James Clement was seated at a table talking with his brother, Johnston, but he kept looking over to Buck. Buck and James glared at each other. Certainly, they each remembered the accusations. James believed that Buck was sleeping with his wife, and Buck believed that James, who was once his friend, was delusional. Both Buck and James were armed. This wouldn't end well. Bill Garant and Wayne Witcher explain what happened next. James and one of his brothers is there, but insults were delivered, pistols were produced, the shooting broke out. There was a shootout and there were people shot, including Mr. Gilbert and two of the Clement men. Everyone in the courtroom ran as the smoke thickened. 
The blasts echoed across the walls of the room. There was confusion and blood. There were nine shots in all, and five hit someone. All three men were shot, Buck Gilbert and both James and Johnston Clement. Ralph Clement, the family attorney, stood to the side. Someone called for a horse and buggy, which quickly hauled James and Johnston to their family's home in Franklin County. But Buck Gilbert was just grazed, and he was able to walk away. James and Johnston Clement were not as lucky. Both would be bedridden for some time with serious injuries. James's father, Dr. George Clement, would later make a public statement. He insisted that his son James was innocent. The doctor wrote that James was sitting quietly, engaging in a conversation with a gentleman, when Buck Gilbert drew his gun and fired at him. Dr. Clement said James was surprised at the attack and defenseless. He didn't even have time to draw his weapon. That seems unlikely because all three men were shot. Someone on the Clement side had time to draw a weapon. But it didn't matter now. Thanks to some haphazard insults and several serious injuries, the depositions and the divorce were now derailed. They just decided to postpone the depositions at that point? No kidding. Back at the Mountain View Plantation, James Clement's stepmother tended to his injuries as he lay thinking about everything that happened that day. James was bedridden and very concerned, both about his health and what might happen the next time the Witchers and the Clements saw each other. Nothing good. James was so concerned about his own life that he made an important decision to dictate his will just six days after being shot by Buck Gilbert in Sandy Level. The document read, I, James R. Clement, of the County of Franklin and State of Virginia, contemplating the end of life from assassination or attack from my enemies, do make this my last will and testament. James left everything to his daughter, Lilia Maud Clement. If James died before she turned 21, he wanted his sister and her husband appointed as the infant's guardians, and they would receive his assets until she either married or left their home as an adult. And then he addressed his estranged wife. In his will, James wrote, To my Victoria C. Clement, I give nothing, having as I confidently believe dishonored my bed, left my house and home, and used every exertion to ruin me in character and purse. I think she has forfeited all right to dower in my estate, and I wish to exclude her from it altogether. That's not surprising considering how acrimonious their relationship had become. The Witchers and the Clements brought loads of weapons to the store that day, and they were prepared to use them for seemingly any reason. There were up to nine shots fired and just a handful of injuries. Clearly, this divorce wasn't going well, but considering there were worse possible outcomes, both families had actually come away lucky. For now. Author Dean King wrote the most comprehensive book to date about the feud between the Hatfields and the McCoys. King appeared on my other podcast, Wicked Words. He says that when a McCoy accused a Hatfield of stealing his hog, there was a trial. The justice of the peace presiding over the trial was a McCoy, 
and he made a few strategic decisions before testimony began. As his jurors, he picked six McCoys and six Hatfields. You have these two powerful families. Imagine if you weren't a Hatfield and McCoy and were sitting on that jury. <laughs> it wouldn't work out for you either way. It was all Hatfields and McCoys. And Pre-Trance was a very respected guy. They all came fully armed to his house for the trial, and he made everybody put their weapons aside. He gave them a stern talking to and said, do unto your neighbor as you would have them do unto you. You know, don't take family sides. Um, let's, let's decide this right. Disarming both families and invoking the Bible might have worked with the Hatfields and the McCoys, but there was no mention of either of those things in the depositions between the Witchers and the Clements. And there would be no mention of those things in the next depositions either. What a tragic mistake. The first set of depositions in James and Victoria's divorce was delayed after the gun battle between the Clement brothers and Buck Gilbert. James and Johnston Clement both recovered, but their anger toward everyone who wasn't in their family had deepened, particularly toward the Witchers. James feared what would become of Lelia Maud if Victoria gained full custody. How could she be raised by a woman who was so unfaithful? For her part, Victoria grew uneasy that, perhaps, James might be allowed to raise their daughter without her. What if people believed his stories about their horrible marriage over her own stories? More depositions were scheduled for Saturday, February 25th, 1860, back at Dickinson's store. So this was five months later. But when two powerful, outraged families despise each other this much... Those months could feel like an eternity. So they made threats from a distance. And in the months leading up to these depositions, there was a lot of target practice. Jane Borden is Lilia Maud's great-great-granddaughter. She says that the Clements and the Witchers made it clear that if weapons were drawn at these upcoming depositions, that neither family would miss this time. They both were uh, doing target practice in advance, <laughs> clearly posturing to one another. I mean, I'm sure they also wanted to practice because they thought this could end badly, but it seems more like posturing. I mean, it's a foregone conclusion when you're doing stuff like that. The men fired all kinds of guns at every different kind of target. It was clear that the winter months had done nothing to cool the anger between the Witchers and the Clements. Jane's mother, Vicki Borden, believes that both families had reasons to be resentful. Well, I think that the Clements and, and all of their relatives were furious that Victoria would dare to leave him. And I think the Witchers and all of Victoria's family were furious that she felt like she had to leave him. Vicki says that shooting guns might sound ominous, but the Witchers and the Clements didn't have a history of killing people without provocation, even during war. The Clement brothers might have shot at Buck Gilbert, but many in their community thought it was kind of a fluke. And so did Lilia Maud, who told Vicki's father all about the shootout from Victoria's point of view. Victoria told Lilia Maud that the target practice might have seemed scary and threatening, but no one took it seriously. 
Nobody in either family ever thought they'd really shoot and knife each other. They wanted them to know how angry they were. They wanted to threaten each other, but they never intended to kill each other. That was that's not who they were. Well, we do know that they owned enslaved people, and we know that James had abused them, and others in this story likely did too. So it doesn't seem like a stretch to me to assume that both the Clements and the Witchers were capable of violence. Vicki says that her great-grandmother's parents might have hated each other, but they loved Lilia Maud, and no one wanted to leave her orphaned. The Witchers and the Clements were affluent and influential, They weren't criminals who reacted without considering the consequences. They weren't families who killed each other. These were not those kinds of people. These were different. These were legislators. These were not people who got guns and went out and killed somebody because they didn't like what they did. But it was threatening. But Clement relative Desmond Kendrick isn't so sure. He says that both families felt forced to defend their honor. And the more time that passed, the more difficult it became to control themselves. That would become obvious as the day of the depositions approached. Well, I feel like that divorce proceeding in 1859 was just a little spark when she was trying to get the divorce, because at the time you didn't do that. And so then in February of 1860, when that really came about, I think that really hit the fan. And they were just almost looking for a reason to get into something, not just the Witchers or the Clements. But that's just my thinking on it from what I've understood for both sides of it. So I don't blame anybody. But by the time this feud ended, one family seemed much more to blame than the other. One felt a great loss, but both families would pay a price for generations. And as the nation approached a civil war, there was resentment and tension and anger everywhere. A nationwide feud. By February of 1860, the United States was still about nine months away from electing Abraham Lincoln as president. America was more than a year away from becoming entrenched in the Civil War, where Virginia would become a central figure. Virginia would soon be one of the 11 states to secede from the Union following the election of Abraham Lincoln as president in November of 1860. Southerners worried that Lincoln would put an end to slavery. And when the Confederate States of America formed, President Jefferson Davis picked Richmond as its capital. But historian Kelly Brennan says that in 1860, the country wasn't just on the precipice of bloody battles. There were already pockets of violence across America, foreshadowing the division of a country. Things are going nuts. We've had violence break out in a number of different places, particularly in the South. You have John Brown, who has these violent raids because he's trying to liberate enslaved people. You have the fact that you're seeing the publication of more abolitionist tracts. They're actually trying to move into the South. The state would soon split, with the western half of Virginia supporting the Union, pitting some families against each other. The fissions opening all across America were becoming irreparable, And back in Virginia, there was similar turmoil and division between two families caused by years of mistrust and disloyalty. Historian Bill Garant says that there were two main catalysts for this final confrontation, James Clement and Captain Vincent Oliver Witcher. When the senior Witcher, Captain Witcher, I'll call him, when his, let's say, the um, virtue 
of his granddaughter was challenged, it's on. Somebody's going to die for that. And that meant all of his sons were going to have to stand up for that position as well. They probably felt it as strongly as he did. James Clement and Vincent Oliver might have been the loudest voices during the depositions, but both men drew in their own family members, whether they wanted to be included or not. Likewise, you know, the Clements. It wasn't just James who was showing up at this stuff. It was him and his brothers. On the day of the depositions, both families traveled just a few miles from their homes to Washington Dickinson's store. There was a county courthouse about 20 miles away, which doesn't sound like far to travel in 2022, but Wayne Witcher and Bill Garant say that in the mid-1800s, riding a long distance could actually affect the outcome of a trial. It took a lot of time to travel to where the courthouse was, which would have been in Chatham, which is the center of Pennsylvania County. And the Dickinson store is kind of on the edge of Pennsylvania County. So they would set up a place closer to where the individuals lived, and it was more convenient for them to get the witnesses there. I remember, this is before the age of automobiles, took a long time to get from one place to another. The depositions have to occur within the county of the residence of the witness. If you set it so that it's ridiculously inconvenient, they may be excused from attending or something. So they probably just chose that store as a central place that had a place like this room where the witness and the lawyers could talk and the stenographer could set up and take down the testimony. And it's likely that the depositions were scheduled close to both families because James Clement still had not recovered from the shooting last fall. The only way he could attend the depositions in February was if he stayed lying down in a bed that would be rolled into the store. Just like during the first set of depositions, James Clement and Victoria Witcher-Smith were represented by family members. Victoria's case was once again presented by her grandfather, Vincent Oliver Witcher, and once again, Ralph Clement was representing James. The second set of depositions went very much like the first. Each side had a list of witnesses, though Buck Gilbert wasn't at Dickinson's store this time. After the shootout in Sandy Level, Buck left town and refused to return. Probably a good idea. These question and answer sessions seemed more intense than the last, likely because everyone knew how many weapons each side was carrying and because there had been so much anger on display in the months since the last time the families met. Judge Robert Mitchell was the justice taking the depositions. After a day of recording the witnesses' statements, Elizabeth Bennett sat in the witness chair, ready to give her thoughts about Victoria and James Clement. Bennett could have been seen as controversial, at least to the Witchers. She and the Clements were friends. She and her husband lived on Ralph's land. Bennett had seen James and Victoria interact many times. Her testimony would likely have an impact on how the marriage was framed. The Witchers thought that Bennett would undermine Victoria's claims that James was abusive. Vincent Oliver Witcher would have none of that. Vincent Oliver Witcher sprang up, turned to Judge Mitchell, and made a motion for an adjournment of taking the woman's deposition. He told the judge that he and his family lived 15 miles from Dickinson's store and it seemed impossible to finish the deposition before nightfall. Vincent Oliver Witcher hoped to postpone the testimony for a few more days. Ralph Clements stood up and insisted they stay and continue the examination. Captain Witcher glared at Ralph and then questioned the witness's truthfulness. That might have actually been the real reason for the postponement. Captain Witcher sat back down and glanced over at James Clement. 
Vincent Oliver's sons and his grandson Addison sat nearby. Wayne Witcher and Bill Garant explain what happened next. Captain Vincent Oliver Witcher objected to one of the witnesses who were being examined, saying that she was brought into the case by the Clements and was under their control. And Ralph Clement, who was the attorney of James Clement at that point, said, whoever said that told a damned lie. Captain Witcher stood up and said, say that again, which Clement said, you heard what I said and I stand by what I said. Whereupon Vincent Oliver Witcher replied, you had better make your remarks more direct. Then Captain Witcher rose from his chair, put his hand in his bosom, and drew out a five-shooter, stepped toward Ralph Clement. How can you know they won't influence the witness? Boom, the guns come out. Bill Garant and Vicki Borden say that the argument deteriorated quickly and tragically. And it got out of hand, and it got out of hand because the one guy in the courtroom accused the other guy of being a liar. And then all the threats and all the hatred and all the violence just bubbled over, and that was it. What I'm wondering is why they didn't make them check their guns and knives at the door. It's kind of interesting. They had to have known that this would happen. The second set of depositions had always seemed destined for disaster for both families. And in the years that followed, locals often blamed the witchers for the violence that would unfold that day. But Edith Witcher Gordon says that criticism has rarely bothered her family. I don't think people really cared whether it was disgraceful or not. It was just who we were, and I don't think people cared. This is just part of who we are. And you talk about the good, the bad, and anything in between. And it isn't as if people sat around talking about it all the time, but you know, when uh, family reunions or gatherings or anything, a lot of times, usually some of the older ones would bring up something like that and then conversations would occur, but I didn't hear that much about it when I was growing up. Retired law school professor Linda Frost says that in our society, there are habitual criminals, and then there are people who simply made a mistake, sometimes a very big mistake. But those people shouldn't necessarily be condemned. I think that's a neat and tidy way to think about it, to label somebody a criminal. You know, I would hate to be known by the my worst act in my life. That, that would not be good. But I think we label people as criminals, rather than somebody who at one point had a problem with the, the legal system. That is assuming that the system worked as it's supposed to, and they actually are culpable because there are people who are not culpable who are caught up in it. Wesley Witcher says that no matter what happens to the Witchers, no matter which century it happens in, the family will always stay unified. I know I've said this in other seasons, but blood is thicker than water. You're never going to be an outcast in this family. You're never going to be out on your own. Whatever you go through, you're going to have somebody that you can fall back on. So, you know, I kind of get that from that feud story. It was come against one, you come against all. It's like the three musketeers multiplied. Just a few months earlier, back in September, the shootout had ended with some wounds and some damaged egos. Those depositions would soon seem tame. Captain Vincent Oliver Witcher, his son and his grandsons were all armed. So were James Clement and his brothers. And soon there would be blood spilled on the floor of Dickinson's dry goods store. On the next episode of Tenfold More Wicked on Exactly Right, 
He lived for nearly three hours despite his wounds after he had been shot. And some reports say that it was the Witchers that were the aggressors, but then there are other reports which say that it was the Clements who were the aggressors. Only 160 years ago, people just killed each other over public insults. I mean, that's basically Twitter. That's like, if Twitter existed 160 years ago, I guess everybody would just be mass murderers. It's a woman who runs away with her child, comes back, runs away again. There's a court case. There's a huge fight in the courtroom. People are killed. And then, bam, that's the end of it. I don't think anything good came out of it for anybody. My new book, All That Is Wicked, is available for pre-order now, including the audiobook. All That Is Wicked is based on our first season of Tenfold More Wicked. You might think you know the whole story of killer Edward Ruloff's crimes, but there's so much more. My book, American Sherlock, is also available. This has been an Exactly Right Tenfold More Media production. Producers Jason Whaling, Alexis Amorosi, and Laura Sobel. Sound designer Eric Friend. Composer Curtis Heath. Artwork Nick Toga. Executive producers are Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, and Danielle Kramer. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Tenfold More Wicked and on Twitter at Tenfold More. And if you know of a historical true crime that could use some attention, email us at info at tenfoldmoremedia.com. Subscribe now on Amazon Music, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen.